this morning, we're going to read from Psalm 106. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe, and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. Good morning, everybody. I'm always amazed at how the Lord brings things together for one of our, our services like this. Um, it just seems to be that uh, we're firing on all cylinders this morning. Even the kids who we don't know, putting that video together, lines up with this idea that we're going to be pushing this morning, that we're going to be learning about this idea of God's grace and even you see the meditation of the first verses of that psalm. We're thanking God for his steadfast love. It's about grace. It was about grace in Noah's time as well. Grace to Noah. But even as we, we talk about grace, as we focus on grace, we don't just go, oh, God is so loving. The thing that really magnifies God's grace is the fact that we remember we're sinners. And that's what the psalm was talking about the psalmist was remembering the sins committed by the people of Israel and yet um, God saves why how well it's for his namesake that's what it says in the psalm it's because of who he is and he is definitely a God of grace and that's what we're going to see in this story in Acts this morning so let's pray together let's ask God to really speak to us, not just that we learn facts, details about a story, but that our hearts are, are pricked, poked, <laughs> changed, because we've drawn closer to the Lord and we understand who He is and we understand the impact of His love in our lives. Father, we come before You and sometimes it just seems that You are a God so great, so far off so distant from us and yet you continue to draw near to us with your love you communicate your love and in many different ways each day you communicate your love to us and we uh, sometimes fail to see it sometimes fail to be aware but we ask today that as we've come here to worship you as we look to you as we look at what you've done that we would be drawn back to an understanding of what you did in our salvation. How you uh, 
took a wicked and sinful person and how you saved us, Lord. You saved us from our sin, from our wickedness. With a grace that, yeah, we did not deserve. Help us to think about that. Help us to comprehend a little bit more. A little bit more of this, this thing called grace. and So that we may understand who you are. In all your glory. In all your greatness. So teach us we pray. As we look into your word this morning. And uh, we trust that we'll be able to honor you. Lord, thank you for your, your faithfulness. Amen. So last week we studied the passage about Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. And the, the title of the sermon was The Effective Witness. And of course, as we studied that, we realized the effective witness was not primarily Philip. He wasn't the hero of the story. The, the effective witness was the sovereign God, because it was God who put everything together. It was amazing. It was, it was God who, uh, who, who set the stage for this most unlikely person uh, in this most unlikely place. And Philip, well, he, he went to this man whose heart had been prepared by God as well. And the man had cracked open his Bible to Isaiah 53, was reading that passage it happened to be an Old Testament prophecy, very specific to what had just happened days, weeks earlier in Jerusalem with Jesus dying on the cross. And so we see all the way along in the preparation, the setup, and the preparation of that man's heart, and, and even the words that, that Philip was led to speak about, everything was ordained by God. And so often we, we miss that in our lives. We, we sort of think of circumstances and we throw up our hands, especially if bad things happen, right? We're, we're kind of pulling our hair out going, wow, this is like chaos. But if we only remembered how God had everything under his control, we'd start to look for, okay, God, what are you teaching me through this? What is it I'm to learn? And so through that story, we saw that even in this thing that we call uh, evangelism, God is at work. And we can trust Him to be putting things together, watching Him, listening to Him, and, and doing our parts. And Philip, I mean, as he arrived there on the scene, all he really had to do was fill in the blanks, right? The Lord had the whole story all written out, said, Philip, you just, you just say what you're led to say in this and that's really, that's really what our job is too. God says, I've written the whole story. I've given all the background. I'm working in people's hearts. The Spirit's in you, guiding you. You just open your mouth, move your lips. I'll, I'll put even the words in there. You just fill in the blanks. And it's kind of exciting to see that, uh, that it's God who does the work. That it's God who's putting everything together and that's what I was trying to communicate I guess at the beginning of this when I first stood up here you know I, I by the time I get up here I feel like okay God's put everything together I'm seeing how he is you know the songs the video and, and I sort of go okay I've been working away in this message but it's been him leading me I just have to talk up here about what he's prepared 
for us this morning and hopefully what he's prepared your heart for this morning. So we, we realize that God is the one who's got this. He's got it all under his control. Now, from our human perspective, we can find that disheartening, discouraging. Because we go, oh, I want a beggar part. I want to be the center of this. I want to be the important one. I want people to look to me and think, oh, I'm the hero. But that's not at all, that's not at all how we look at this as children of God. Because we realize we're not up to being a savior to anybody. We can't be the hero. We need saving ourselves. And so as we see God working through us graciously, we're kind of overwhelmed with joy and say, wow, this is, this is great. God wants to incorporate those of us who are not worthy at all into this story that he is writing. And so it also helps us when we're thinking about evangelism. If people reject the message, if we kind of bubble over and tell them about what Christ has done in our life and we're going on about the gospel and they go, no thank you, get out of here. Even if they say bad words like, shut up, stupid. We go away going, Oh, wait a second. This is God's part. That's his part. I did my part. I opened my mouth. I shared. I overflowed. I let the spirit lead. And, and that's too often the problem. We go at this in a human way. And we're, we're sharing and we're thinking it's all on us. And then in the end, we're discouraged. We think, I must have done something wrong. I'm a failure. Uh, they rejected me. And that's not what it's all about. The part we have is small but glorious because we're connected to God, because we're being used by God in this life. And that's, that's the beauty of it all. Well, the, truth, the truths that we've been talking about are only intensified in this next chapter, this next event. Another person comes to follow Christ, becomes a witness eventually themselves to the Gentile world, and we might be thinking, well, how could God's sovereignty in a person's salvation be any clearer than it was in the last story? Well, it's because this individual was completely opposed to the cause of Christ. They weren't like the eunuch going along reading the Bible and just so open. No, completely opposed to Jesus Christ up front. Also, only the Lord himself was involved initially in confronting this individual. And in fact, the believers of Christ were insistent that this guy couldn't be saved. I don't know if that was anybody's experience when you came to know the Lord. Did the other, did Christian people around you go, no, it's not true. <laughs> that person could never be saved. Anybody want to put up their hand? <laughs> but that was the situation here. And so it becomes so clear that it was God's work. It wasn't the goodness of the people around this person. 
it wasn't the people who did the work. And so, of course, uh, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, and uh, this is the, the dramatic conversion. And it was a big deal, because not, not simply because it was so dramatic, but also because of his impact, his influence through preaching, through writing in his time, and even up to our time now, the Apostle Paul has had a great impact. And, you know, it's interesting to hear him talk about it because he seems to understand this thing called grace. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and 11, this is what Paul says about his conversion. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Even with all the accolades, with all the opportunity he had to minister, all the people who came to Christ under what he did, he says it's by God's grace. Unmerited favor is what we always say when we talk about grace. We were rescued and we didn't deserve it. We were the ones who were floundering around. It wasn't, oh, look, I've got grace. No, God reached down and saved us. So he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But listen to this. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You know, you start to think, "Uh uh-oh, he's getting a little bit proud. Because Paul says, you know, I worked really hard. When God saved me, I started serving him like crazy. And we read the history. We know he did. But then he says, even my efforts, it was God's grace through me. It was what God was doing. And so he just continues to point back to God all the glory, all the glory goes to him. But where did it all start? Well, in this passage that we're getting to this morning, Acts chapter 9, we're going to read a few verses, 1 through 9 at the beginning, and really... Uh, it seems like this is all about vision, okay? Paul loses his vision, Ananias has a vision, and then Paul, his vision is restored physically, but he gets a renewed vision of what everything's all about. And so I, I talk about vision and Paul's vision and Ananias's vision, but we remember God's sovereignty, so that's why we have the title uh, the titles in there, the three titles, the Lord grabs the vision of the rebellious. The Lord gives vision to the reliable. The Lord grants renewed vision to the redeemed. It's him who's at work graciously. And I guess there is that one, uh, that, that title overall of the sermon. I should say God's sovereignty and the salvation of the seditious. I need another S. That's why it's seditious. That word basically just means rebellious wickedly rebellious and this is who god saves these are his targets so let's read one through nine of chapter nine where it says paul sorry wrong right off the bat but saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way of Christ, men or women, he might 
bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I don't know. The beginning, it sort of sounds like Saul has a very clear picture of what needs to be done. He wants uh, to accomplish something great here for God. And at the beginning of the account, his goal is clear. He's got a good plan. He, he wants letters for the synagogues in Damascus. And there's good reason for that because the Christians, the people, the Jewish people who are coming to Christ, they weren't forgetting their Jewishness. They weren't turning their back on the rest of, of their countrymen. And they were still, they were devout people who were still going to synagogue. They had come to know Jesus Christ, come to know his salvation, but they were still gathering with the rest of the Jewish people. And so Paul just thought, this is going to be easy. Saul just thought, this is going to be easy. I'll get a letter. I'll go to the synagogues. I'll get this permission, the court order, a subpoena. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to just gather these people up. So he was just going to scoop up these devout Christians from the synagogue. It's interesting. Synagogue means lead together. And that's what a synagogue was all about. A synagogue led people together in their worship of God. Sort of similar to the word ekklesia, which is the word for church in Greek as well, which means the gathering, a gathering of people. And it helps us move beyond sometimes our very short-sighted vision of what church is. We think of church as a building. Or we think of church as this time that we're here. Now, church is a gathering of people to worship God. That's what it's all about. They are led together. But it's interesting. Saul's mind, he was going up there to lead people away. He's going to lead them off to jail. But he's knocked to the ground by a light all of a sudden. And he goes from being a man with a plan to not knowing which end is up. It's interesting, this statement. Who are you, Lord? He recognized in an instant that this person that he was being confronted by was his Lord and master had complete power over him have you ever been knocked over by light 
No, we haven't, have we? But the Lord came with such force, knocked him to the ground. But even greater than the force that knocked him to the ground probably were these words when he said, Who are you, Lord? That response, I am Jesus. Saul was all about persecuting Jesus or Jesus' followers. He was all about erasing the name of Jesus Christ from the lips of the Israelite people. And all of a sudden, this one who came to him with such force that he recognized him immediately as master, as Lord, says, it's me, Jesus the one you are persecuting. And this physical blindness that comes over Saul is really just a shadow, an illustration of what must be going on in his heart and mind as his world, his belief system, just falls apart. Everything that he thought to be true, everything he focused his, his life on, being religious and snuffing out this, this uprising, this group of people and erasing this, this name of Jesus, all of a sudden, everything was just turned upside down. It was flipped on its head. And this is what must happen at salvation. This is what happens at salvation. This is what has to happen at salvation. Things must be turned on their head. Otherwise, there's no repentance. There's no turning around. There's no change of direction. There's no transformation in our hearts. There's no salvation. Because as natural men, as natural human beings, as natural people, we live for ourselves we are lord and we worship idols that elevate us that glorify us and yet when the lord comes in if it's for salvation everything turns around everything changes that is the only way that salvation can take place. And thank goodness, goodness, it's because of what God does in our hearts. He transforms the way we are spiritually, the level of our soul. We all of a sudden recognize, I am not worthy to be served. We recognize that we are sinners. And, and we just have to see this in terms of Paul, or Saul, sorry, I keep messing that up. Saul, he went from being a powerful, self-centered, self-reliant, religious activist who was going to lead people away to all of a sudden, you saw what happened in that final verse. He's this blind guy who's being led by the hand. Talk about a picture of the humbling that God wants to do in people's lives. 
that God needs to do in people's lives in order for them to become saved. You know, sometimes people talk about it as though it's some kind of smooth transition. Well, you know all that stuff you want? Well, God wants to give it to you. You just got to let him give it to you and and just slide on in there. No, (laughs) not at all. Not at all. You know the way you think? You know the way that we think as human beings? We want to take care of ourselves. We want to elevate ourselves. We want to say we're good people. Jesus comes in with his death on the cross. He shows us what he had to do to erase who we are in our natural selves as sinners. And we see that Paul went, or Saul went from being this guy who, man, thought he was good, thought he was righteous, to the point, place where he was disabled. Not just physically, but spiritually. Everything got turned upside down. And so the Lord takes the vision of a rebellious person in salvation. That's what he does. He, he snatches away this idea that we're good, that we're all right, that we, we've got a destiny that we're working toward and, and we can take care of ourselves. And he says, wrong. You're going down a path toward destruction. That's what being a sinner is all about. It's about doing wicked things and destroying ourselves. It's about rebelling against God, the God who created us. Well, in the second part, the Lord gives a vision to the reliable or gives vision to the reliable. We carry on uh, with Ananias at the beginning. It says, now, verse 10, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, listen to his response, here I am, Lord. So instead of Paul at the beginning going, who are you, Lord? Ananias responds beautifully, here I am, Lord. He knew the Lord. He knew that he was a servant of the Lord. He'd been listening to his voice. He'd been following him. There's obviously a positive relationship there. He knew, I want to serve Jesus Christ. And so he responds, hey, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings 
and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to stop right there. It's so wonderful how God is willing to use people who are willing. It's not about what we know. It's not about us being in control. It's us, about us being willing to accept what God is saying to us and do it. It's about obedience. It's about following him. And here we see Ananias. He responds, here I am Lord. And you imagine how much of a big deal this is for us. We're not talking about some you know, guy who'd been a Christian for a long time, right? How old was the church at this point in time? Was Ananias one of those people who, you know, even in the first of the church, when Peter got up and preached in, in, in Jerusalem, that first sermon, remember the 3,000 people came? They came to know the Lord. They were baptized. That was just weeks ago. And here Ananias is, one of the people who'd left Jerusalem, probably because of persecution, didn't see himself as a hero. I'm going to stay and I'm going to stand. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. A lot of the other people, they kind of moved out of there. But he was willing to serve God. And you know, this is who we need to be. We need to be people who realize we're not heroes but we should be willing to serve God. Whatever he comes to us with, whatever he says, hey, nod, a nudge, a prod, a poke. Why don't you go speak to that person? Why don't you go here and do this? Why don't you serve me in this way? We should be ready to respond. And we see here, I mean, Ananias, he got it all. He got names and addresses and you know, this is your mission, should you accept it, sort of thing. Communicated so clearly to him. But we recognize he was human too, because he went from saying, here I am, Lord, to saying, are you sure, Lord, you know what you're talking about? Let's back up the tape a little bit. Ananias, you're talking with God. Of course God knows what he's doing. Of course he knows who he's talking about. He wasn't, God wasn't surprised when Saul arrived at Damascus. Oh, who's this? And God isn't surprised when he puts people in our way. <laughs> Wait a minute, God. I've lived with this guy for so many years. I know, I've worked with this guy. I know who he is on the inside because a lot of times it spills out. God, this guy, this guy cannot, he's not safe. It's not that he just can't be saved. He's not even safe. I don't want to get involved here. It would be best if I said nothing. Are there people around you who you've made that objective decision about that pff, there's no way 
I remember early in my ministry, uh, down in Harrow, working with young people, there were these two brothers, and I didn't know the, the other brother at the beginning. I just knew the one brother who was kind of uh, a beaten down sort of guy, and he arrived in our youth group through some friendships and really was like just gobbling up gospel, love, grace, loved it. And I remember picking him up from, from, uh, from his house one day, and his brother was cutting the grass. And his brother's walking along there with these big aviator sunglasses on. And I had talked with the guy before, and he's just like, cool. In every sense of the word, he was arrogant. And I went, that guy's never going to come to know the Lord. I made my objective, well-informed observation about this guy. And he's a pastor today. (laughs) And God says, you know, I'm the one who's in charge of this. I'm the one. I didn't even get the opportunity to pray with this guy and hear him come to know the Lord. Like I wasn't. He started coming to youth group, and it was actually at an event. And and this other guy led him to know the Lord. This other guy who actually fell from ministry later on. And you kind of go, "Wow, it's not about us, is it, God?" And, you know, God does these things to humble us, to help us. Because I think we always go back to that natural, you know, I'm the guy. I know what's going on. I'm the one who has to act. I'm the one who's responsible for this situation. And it's not. It's about him. And it's about us being willing to just listen to his voice and, and do a lot of regular things and step out when he says step out and just be tuned to hear and do what he wants us to do and and that's what that's what Ananias does and God says to Ananias go lay your hands on this man because I've already God essentially says, laid my hands on him. Anytime we're talking about people laying their hands on somebody in the Bible, it's not that there's power in their hands. It's because God has already laid his hands on that person. Whether he's going to save them or whether he's going to put them into ministry, all that people do when they lay their hands on people is they're recognizing what God has done and is doing. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, he said uh, his statement was, empty hands on empty heads. He says that's a lot of what goes on when people are laying hands on people. Empty hands on empty heads. Unless we're just recognizing what God is doing. That God has already laid his hands on this person. And so that's what takes place here. Um, Ananias says, okay, okay, Lord, you've, you've done something. You're going to do something. Um, 
I'll go. I'll be involved. And we look at that and we go, wow, if it could only be so clear, if God would only spell things out in so much detail for us, if, if we could be so sure, just like he did it here. But you know, I think what happens is, in the word of God, in Acts, at the very beginning, God does things with such detail, with such clarity, so that we understand God is the one who's sovereign over this process. He's the one that's in it. We're the ones who just have to serve and follow. And oh, this is what's going on the whole way along. We get to read that here, see it, understand it, and then we have to live it out by faith. In our circumstance, in our situation, wow, it just may not be as clear. But we know from God's word, that it is clear. It's clear to God. And all we have to do is follow his leading, follow his spirit. A lot of times it seems, for me anyways, I'm not as sensitive to his voice as I should be. I'm not as aware as I should be simply because I'm not walking as closely with him as I should be. I'm not as faithful as he is to me and to these situations. And so this is sort of a, a challenge to us. This is a challenge to us about these situations. Be willing. Be ready. You know, I've told you in the word. Take my gospel. Share my gospel. And we need to just be doing that and showing our willingness. And then we'll begin to see what God is doing sovereignly behind the scenes. And then we'll grow in this ability to hear his voice and just respond at every situation. If we're these reliable people like Ananias and like Saul becomes. Because Saul had a vision in this section too. He knew there was going to be a man named Ananias coming to him. God gave him that vision. Well, let's go on. The Lord grants renewed vision to the redeemed. Let's continue reading. Verse 18, it says, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength. And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Well, what we see in these verses is that the Lord gives Saul his sight back in a miraculous way. It wasn't like that he had kind of a snow blindness, you know, bright lights. He couldn't see and gradually his, his sight came back. The Lord wanted this to be clear. This was a, a miraculous taking away of the sight, and it was a miraculous restoration 
of his sight. Immediate transformation. But you know, that's not really the important part. So often we get sidetracked by, you know, the physical, what, what takes place, the manifestation. And we miss out on what it is pointing us to. And that which is the spiritual side of things. And this is the important part. The change in vision that is most important is what happened in Saul's heart. He's no longer the self-centered, religiously driven persecutor who when the Lord confronted him, he wasn't even sure who he was talking to. Now, instead of saying, who are you, Lord? He is going around telling everybody who wants to listen and probably some who don't want to listen, he is Lord. See how it goes through this passage nicely? Who are you, Lord? And Ananias says, what does Ananias say again? Here I am, Lord. Thank you. Somebody's listening. I'm not. Uh, here, are, here I am, Lord. And now Saul is going around saying to everybody, he is Lord. He is Lord. It says, uh, he proclaims in the synagogues, Jesus is the Son of God in verse 20. A little later in verse 22, to the Jews who were confused, he told them, Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. Well, what does it sound like? It sounds like Saul's traveling companions delivered the letters to the synagogue. Verse 21. Did you see that? The people who are hearing Saul go, he is the Lord. They're going, hasn't this guy come here for this purpose? To bring the believers of Jesus Christ bound to the chief priests? It was clear to them why Saul had come to Damascus. Like I say, the guys, we never hear about the guys who were Saul's traveling companions. But they must have come, delivered the letters, or at least told people, this is what we're here for. This is what we're all about. And here Saul is running around doing exactly the opposite. Not just a, a changed plan, but a completely different objective. Rather than trying to beat down the believers in Jesus Christ, he is trying to promote the name of Jesus Christ and gather more people to follow Jesus Christ. The one who was crucified in Jerusalem days earlier is actually the Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior. Why? Why was Saul doing this? Why the big change? Why the transformation? Because he was confronted by the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. So often we talk about, you know, the Damascus Road experience. Oh, my salvation. It wasn't a Damascus Road experience, we say. Listen, maybe there were no flashing lights and you didn't fall to the ground. But it better have been a Damascus Road experience. 
in the sense that it has to be a transformation complete. It is repentance. It's about you're going one way and not just physically in a certain direction, but spiritually with a certain attitude. The focus was on you, was on me. I was glorifying myself. I was doing what I wanted. I was fighting against God. And he brought me to an about face. The Lord exposed Paul, Saul, to that truth. He said, Saul, you are working against me. And that's what it means to be a sinner. That's what it means when I said God's sovereignty in the salvation of the seditious. I wasn't saying, whoa, this guy Saul, he was really bad. Let's see what God does to him. No, I was kind of lumping us all in there because that's exactly where God lumps all of us. We're all seditious. We're all wicked. We're all rebellious. That is what a sinner is. So often we, we use the word and the word has, has become so common that it, it's a word people chuckle about. It's a word that, that doesn't carry, it doesn't seem to carry the full import in our minds when we say all have sinned. It's kind of like we go, oh, all have sinned, no big deal. Instead of all have sinned. And that means we are undermining and attacking God. We're attempting to sabotage his efforts to bring people to the light of his salvation. That's what it is to be a sinner. And we recognize as Christians, that's what it means when we sin. When we sin, there's an undermining that we're doing to the work of God in the world. And we need to come to a constant place of repentance again and again as we see sin cropping up in our lives. And we need to admit it to God that we're sinners. And it means we're sabotaging Him and the gospel. We're trying to. Even when we're doing it with a smile on our face. Especially if we're doing it through our good works. The filthy rag that Isaiah talks about. Self-righteous acts. Where we're saying, you know what? I'm a good person. I mean, Jesus dying on the cross, that was unnecessary. Because I'm good enough. The worst kind of sin. We're saying the cross was a waste of time. A useless act of self-promoting heroism on the part of Jesus. And that's what we're saying when we're relying on our niceties, our good works. And that is why sin is so wrong. 
And that's why sinners need to be saved. Sinners like us. Because we're without Christ. We're on a Christless course to a Christless eternity. And that is not just something I'm saying to us to go, oh, we need to get out there and share the gospel with with people even like Saul or especially like Saul. That's not just the goal, but it's also the motivation because we look back at our lives and we realize what we've been saved from. Seems so important when it's fresh in our mind, when we move from darkness to light. Just after we become a Christian, we're, we're kind of like, whoa, this is good stuff. This is incredible. This is a completely different way of looking at things. I am in a relationship with God. He loves me. And and as we go on in the Christian life, sometimes we lose that basic sense of joy that we should have. And it's because we forget what we've been saved from. We forget how we were saved. We forget that, man, it it was impossible. It was impossible that we came to Christ other than God being sovereign over this whole thing. Him moving in. Him taking the blinders off. Him giving us a vision of truth. And we saw that road I was going down was leading me straight to hell. I was marching happily along toward my own destruction. But he gives us a vision of a Savior, Christ, the cross. He paid for my sin. And he gives us this vision of us working in concert with God to continue to share his glory, his love, talk about what he's done, what he's doing in our lives to those around us today. What an opportunity. What a privilege, what a joy. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. That blindness. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What an opportunity to be involved in the process of sharing the gospel with others. He says in in chapter 4 of the same book, 2 Corinthians, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, we were blind, willingly blind, happily blind, 
we were the seditious. And when we understand that, when we remind ourselves or are reminded of our sinful state, we understand better what God's grace is all about. And we understand why others need to hear about His grace so much. We just need to overflow with an understanding of what He did for us and what He can do for them. And I thought of this verse, Psalm 118.23. It says, This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. The salvation that He worked out in our lives and the salvation that He wants to work out the lives of the people around us in this world. What an opportunity. Father, help us to see. Help us to remember. Help us to recall exactly who we were without you. And Lord, we know how simple it is to walk back into blindness. No, not lose the salvation. You Fortunately, are, are sovereign over all of that. You have it under control, but Lord, we can wander. We can lose sight of the truth that has transformed us, what you've given to us. And Lord, as we recall and understand more deeply what you have done for us, what you're doing in our lives, how motivated we will be to share that gospel with those around us. Help us to walk with you. Help us to know your love. Help us to hear your voice and respond and become instruments of worship for you in this world. Witnesses ready to testify at every opportunity you give us to be involved in this process of saving sinners. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be involved in this marvelous work. Amen.